Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. You got a What's lid up, for the big gulp now? I do have a lid. Congrats. They have them back in stock. They're they're not on national back order anymore. <laughs> they weren't on national. There's some back other order things before. in the store that are on national back order. <laughs> I, and and look, if you would buy the plastic cups, see plastic cups, the lid fits well. Okay, is you're just putting is? the plastic cup lid on top of the styrofoam cup. I mean, yeah. The problem is expect? that the plastic cup does not retain the. Uh, the temperature well. That's true. And so the ice melts and it turns into a watery mess within an hour. Then what? I mean, what are we going to do about it? Like, you're going to petition them to get better lids? I mean, I just don't buy my drinks from 7 Eleven. You need to make a whole podcast about this. Yeah. That's what did. I think. We did just we, this we week. I mean, it's oh, just okay. Just say, several. this sounds like a hot topic. Yeah. It is. This is several episodes of yeah. complaining about 7-Eleven lid cups. <laughs> and, and, and Quick Trip has still not sponsored us yet. And, and Popeyes has not called Quick either. Trip and David, oh, no. Is, is it nationwide? Quick Trip is yeah. in North Carolina yeah. for sure. Yeah. But are they on the West Coast? Uh, I don't know. I think they so are. They're down in Atlanta. They're down in Florida. I, I don't even yeah. know. I don't think they're actually up north, though. I don't. I I've not they, seen one up north. Think, north. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're up north, and uh, and I don't think they're on the west coast. So yeah. that's not going to work. Yeah. We'll have to do something different, yeah. man. We'll have to do something <laughs> different. So today we have the hiring ladies with us. And so, uh, David, as you said, Joelle over here. <laughs> 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 Girls, introduce yourselves for us. So, my mom actually used to call, or my dad used to call me Joelle, um, but and I get Jolie, but uh, officially go by Joel. Um, right, so right. Amy and I uh, just started uh, our own recruiting company focused on placing automotive uh, technicians, service advisors, pretty much any role in, in an independent uh, shop. And, you know, I spent the last nine years in the industry working for NAPA um, and the NAPA yep. Auto Care team the last five years. So, got to travel around and work with independent shop owners. And um, that's the best part about what I did before and what we're doing now is that we still get to work with amazing people um, in the industry from the partnership side and, and the shop side. Um, and then my dad and grandpa, they owned a shop. My dad still does in Buffalo, New York. Um, always have to get my Go Bills plug in there. But um, yeah, so great industry to be in and, and definitely, you know, focused on really trying to retain that, that top talent that's out there um, right now. So Lucas, let me ask go you this. sideways already. <laughs> Why? Uh, uh, listen, Who's David. your team? <laughs> Please don't ask that. Oh, my. You know, this dude wrecked a car. Because he's yelling at his daughter 
because she was wearing a Kansas City outfit. I was, at in- her. I was not yelling at her. I was not yelling at her. <laughs> what were you doing it. then? Describe. Do just explain what it was. <laughs> I mean, no. No, we, already, we already hashed this out. <laughs> now I'm curious. He doesn't want to rehash yeah. this. Yeah, it's already episode, water, under the like, yeah, water under the bridge. That, water the, under the bridge. The van, I don't know, though. I mean, the van is is a couple different colors at this point because of the incident. It, you know, My daughter wasn't terrible. even in the car. My son okay. was. He remembers it vividly. Like, Daddy, you remember when you smashed up the van? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my, oh my goodness. Um, David is a Patriots fan. And oh. I'm, I'm not sure why. Um, and, and now Six these days. Are you a Bucks I mean, fan? But did you go to the Bucks now? Yeah. Or are you still a Patriots fan? What? Who does that? <laughs> no. <laughs> we if had they quite trade a few. Josh Allen? Are you all of a sudden gonna become a whatever fan? No, you're gonna. No, be a no, fan. I'm exactly. loyal to my Bills. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody asks me that. They're like, "Hey, Tom Brady left. Did you become a no? No." I became <laughs> a Tom Brady fan because I live in Tampa. So once he, I didn't like him when he was in the uh, Patriots, but once he came down here, I thought, "Well, oh, he seems to be a good guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll exactly, get behind him." All of a sudden, you're winning football games. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. don't worry, the Patriots are a non-starter, non-issue yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Anything have to talk about? You're oh, gonna watch this, dude. Good. They're sneaky look, good this year. Look, this blue background is gonna start turning red here in a minute, yeah. and it's gonna be David's face turning <laughs> red. We'll be screaming before it's over and done with. We were, <laughs> so we were at Ratchet and Ranch. Well, I guess two years ago, hey, maybe hey, it was hey, a year hey, ago. Hey, hold on, hold on. Introduce Amy. Hi, Amy. Yeah. Amy is here. Hi. Hi. Amy's here as well. Hi, Amy. Yes, I am here. <laughs> nice to meet you guys. I've heard so much about you, and I uh, follow your oh, pages this on social media, either. which are awesome. I love them. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I am. It's funny. I'm kind of the opposite of Joel. So I am new to the to the automotive space. Um, now I've been uh, working in in the automotive space um, for about a year, actually. Like slowly, as we've started um, looking at this concept for the industry, and then um, obviously with our launch. But my background is primarily staffing. So I've been in staffing for now 17 years so a really long time yeah and um have been you know recruiter myself and then um have grown to lead teams and develop recruiters and all of this and um you know, we had some mutual uh, business partners that said, hey, we um, we noticed that there is a really big need for um, staffing automotive professionals, whether they're technicians or service advisors or foremans, everything, everything under the sun. And, um, you know, you're really good at staffing. And like, let's talk about um, opportunity for solving this um you know, some some of these challenges that we have in the industry. So we've been uh, officially launched since April. Um, and we are rocking and rolling. And um, we had a record breaking uh, placement 
week, last week, and then we're starting off this week. Fantastic. And, um, you know, we are, we are in staffing, we are in the people business. So some of what I think our clients or our shops, um, some of their challenges, we see those challenges too, you know, but um, our goal is to uh, make the process take a lot of that heavy lifting away from the shop owner that is, you know, that needs to focus. Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. On marketing their business and managing their employees and making sure that the quality of the service is there for their customers, we want to take that off of their plate and do a lot of that heavy lifting. That's what we do full time, so um, that they can focus on the business and that they can get the um, the spots filled um, as quickly as as possible. So it's been fun so far. That that's awesome. David tells me that shop owners suck at hiring, and I know I do. Like, I'm terrible at it. I, like, hate interviewing people. I'm so bad at it. Like, I'm terrible. And so, like, David David has literally had to interview applicants for me. We're not going to talk about how it went, okay? We're not going to talk about that. The interview went well. Pass on that. here's, here's, Here's the fun part. It's after they get hired. After they get hired, you've done yes. everything you can. Now you you lay that little baby bird in the hands of someone who then squeezes the ever-living life out of them, <laughs> pops their heads off, blood is spraying everywhere. Then they come back to you with this dead bird, and they're like, I don't know what happened, hey, but it died. Yeah. Can you get me another one? Yeah. Sure. I'll find you yep. another one. Great. Thanks. Yep. Well, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's that's that's one thing I think Joelle does a really good job with on the front end is just like trying to vet the shops that we work with, too, because, you know, we want to make sure, you know, we can't we're not responsible for what the day to day looks like, you know, in their shop. But like we do do a lot of vetting on the front end to make sure like, is this shop, you know, a good shop? Are they going to be treated well? Is the culture good? You know, does this person align with the value? 
values of the shop and things like that. So, um, yeah, so we really try. I, I don't know. I mean, I you may not. Maybe we don't want to work with your shop if you're going to be squeezing the living life out of baby birds. I don't know. Oh, that might not be a shop any. that we're interested in. Yeah. <laughs> they don't tell you. They don't tell you. They're like, oh, it's great here. We have great culture. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, and, and that's the thing is is that's what we kept seeing. Is like yeah. we had people that we thought were like really awesome, really good shop owners, right? Mm-hmm. And and we would have these technicians who it seemed like they were really great technicians and they were yeah. just on on top of things and they were really smart. And and it never failed. Like we would just try and make a connection because two people would come to us and say, Hey, I need some help with this. And and you would fill for them, right? Because mm-hmm. like somebody's got a tough time in life, they're moving. A shop did something really shady, really sorry to somebody, and or a tech says, "Hey, look, you know, I'm out. I've got to go. Had a medical issue." And we would we would have these people constantly reaching out to us. We get a hundred and some messages a week, some weeks, and so we're we're connecting these people, and and it was people that you really thought were good people, mm-hmm. and the next thing you know, they're over here and they're like abusing one another, mm-hmm. right? The shop wasn't yeah. who you thought they were. They're doing really shady things. They're not paying them the way they should pay them. They promised to do something. Now they're not doing it. So we just like completely stopped. We're like, nah, man, I'm not connecting you with anybody else. We're well, not the doing it. Yeah. was a deadbeat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that happened more times problems. than you could imagine. Yeah. yeah. Like, they wouldn't show up to work. There was always like family drama. Like, and you're like, and then you look like the a hole because you made the connection and all you did was yeah. make the connection. That- I'd say I'd say that you know on our end or the past four or five months, um, you know we're working with fifty nine, sixty shops uh, today, and out of all of those, kind of early on when we were piloting this, we actually had to fire a shop. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a partnership that you know was really kind of going down the right path. A couple shady things and had that difficult conversation and. You know, you could look at, okay, you're a new company, you want every customer you can get, but that's not that's not the approach we're taking. You know, we're really making sure that we partner with the right types of shop and people. And and again, you may get it wrong a couple of times and then it's what you do from there to, you know, try and try and make it right and and move forward on on both parties. And then on the candidate side, um, you know, we've we've made a couple dozen placements so far. Um Actually, even more than that after last week, but yeah, um, you know, we there's been one or two after after two weeks or thirty days that have left. Um, the rest of them, I mean, are are going really well. Um, and then we actually had one. We had our third one that left after uh, you know, like right around the ninety day mark. So we're going back and we're doing the right thing and we're trying to find the right person. So again, because people are people, but our recruiters and our team are really following up and doing everything that we can on the front end or the back end, rather, um, asking a laundry list of questions, not just about skill set and what kind of scan tools they use, but again, what type of person are you looking for? What type of culture? What type of manager? What type of team? Um, and that's where, again, Amy Kelly and, and the rest of the recruiting team, that's what they've done their whole life. And they do a phenomenal job at recruiting. Like they're rock star recruiters. I'm not a recruiter, so I'm focused on the shop side and, and the partnership yeah. side, but they're, they know what they're doing. So, you know, you've been in the automotive world for a really long time, yep. right? And you've, you've had lots of experiences and, and maybe tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did you get to Napa? And then how, we know how you got here. How did you get so firmly rooted in the automotive world? 
Yeah, so um, I'll kind of just fast forward some parts and, and, you know, not take you through every (laughs) detail. But, um, you know, I was in college and I needed to, I needed an internship um, to graduate. And my dad owns a shop and his Napa rep, you know, he got tickets through Napa for local basketball games. So we went to the game, ended up meeting uh, the general manager of Napa at the time uh, in Buffalo at the distribution center, stayed connected with him. Um, There wasn't an internship opportunity, but basically after I graduated, went into the executive management trainee program, which is about 18 months long. You touch on all parts of the company, figure out, are you more sales, ops, what's your sweet spot, what you're good at, what you need to improve on. Um, Then from there, went down the road to Syracuse, uh, New York, where I was assistant sales manager and sales manager at the distribution center there. So my time there, I was leading our sales team and focused on the store side of things. So I worked with independent store owners, um, you know, all the way up to basically Montreal down to Scranton, PA, and would help them with, you know, inventory, new distribution, um, buying and selling stores. And then in 2018, moved down to Atlanta, where I'm at now, where headquarters is and was part of the Napa Auto Care team. So it's kind of just working my way up the the corporate side every couple of years, and again, it was a it was a big decision and bittersweet. And I mean, been fortunate to work for a great company and great great people. Um, but took a leap of faith, and you know, the main reason for that is because of Amy and our other partners and team, and really solid team here and and what we're doing. So, you, you know, you spent a lot of time with a lot of shops, right? And and yep. I've seen you network with shops at all the events that we've always gone to and you're yep. there and you're always networking with shops. In your eyes, what makes a good shop for a technician? Like what is it? Because that that's one of the big things and and I know you're you're both in the group and you mm-hmm. see the conversations, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. And yep. and so for David and I, it was it was like eye-opening because mm-hmm. we didn't treat our employees that way. Yeah. You know, I wasn't in a dealership first. I started the business from scratch and started up. David was kind of the same thing. He was in the parts store business. Yeah. And and so when people started talking about how terribly they were treated by shop owners, it was almost like we couldn't believe it at first. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're over here saying like, what are you talking about? They won't yeah. pay you. They only pay you for every flat rate hour. They don't even give you like a base or something. Yeah. And and the way they were treated was so unbelievable. It was hard to to put that into a way that you could even express it in words. What is it that makes a good shop from a bad shop? What how do you how do you quantify that? Yeah, and I, I think I think there's a couple different things or avenues, at least from my perspective and what we look at is, you know, obviously there's there's the people side of it, the relationship side of it. So whether it's us with a customer, a potential shop or a shop to an employee, I mean, especially this industry more than any other, it's it's relationships. And I think that being transparent and being able to have difficult conversations, being able to celebrate the wins. Um, and you know, maybe your shop is using digital vehicle inspection, but you know, uh, the technician that you're working with doesn't want to use it. And, you know, I've seen shops that say, okay, we're not going to do it because they don't want to, but then you have shops that actually enforce to say, this is the process and explain that if you do this, it's a win-win for everybody from the customer to the shop, to your paycheck. So I think that, as a shop owner, being able to explain the reasons of why you use certain systems and the processes is, is important to get the buy-in from the employees. Um, and then obviously training too. So are you invested in your 
your growth of your employees? Are you, are you sending them to training? Are you presenting what training's out there? Um, is there growth opportunity within your shop? Do you have an apprentice type program? Is there a mentor in your shop? Um, because a lot of the candidates that we're placing, whether they're coming from the dealership world or, or other independent shops where maybe it is a bad shop or they're not getting taken yeah. care of is our job is to place them at a shop that is providing that growth, that opportunity, that training, um, good pay. I mean, not, you know, pay doesn't make every candidate tick, um, but it's, a, it's definitely a real thing. It may not be their number one driving factor, but um, Amy's worked with shops to help restructure their, their hybrid model because it may have been going up by pennies and it just wasn't enough to, to get the candidate to say yes. So we're making recommendations on, on, you know, kind of pay scales and what we're seeing. So I, I think to sum it up, it's really, being able to have fun conversations, difficult conversations, explain the reasoning why, invest in training, and and really have some type of growth path or opportunity within your shop. And you see that more and more with even multi-shops or you just expanded from three bays to 10 bays. So now right. you're, you're expanding right. more roles. So, Well, and, and, you know, I've seen a lot of this. And as a matter of fact, my most recent hire came from a shop that they, they five years in a shop. Okay. Mm -hmm. Been on a tire changer the whole time. Been doing lube work the yep. whole time. And and no pathway out of that spot. Now it was a great shop. They treated him well. They respected him. They they provided the things that were important to him in that shop. Right. And I think yep. that's awesome. Yep. But in the same respect, there was no trajectory. And mm -hmm. and one of the things that, that we you know, we talked about this last night and I, I was just on a podcast with our local chamber. And, and I said, look, one of the problems in the automotive industry is we don't have a career path, right? It's like you're going to turn riches yeah. and then you're yeah. going to age out and sorry, right? And so yeah. for a, an, an industry that really doesn't have retirement, right? Yeah. We've not been saving for their retirement and helping them prepare for that. Yeah. And then we don't have a career path past, hey, if your arm gives out or you hurt yourself, sorry, buddy. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I don't think we've been preparing enough for that. Amy, what do you see? I mean, what are your... What are your thoughts? What is it that we're doing wrong when we go to hire people? Because I know David's got some opinions on that, and and we're trying not to set him off here. Um, ADHD <laughs> of course he here, does. He's a Patriots fan. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm so glad somebody else figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I would say, first of all, just um, just just so you guys know, we have been staffing all different levels of positions. So it's funny, when we first started this business, we were thinking like we would just mainly be used for a master a level master tech um, candidates. But actually, we've been working with um, all different levels all across all the way from apprentice to, um, you know, master techs, foremans, and service advisors. And I think that, you know, Joelle uh, touched on uh, all the key points as far as training and development and things like that. The other thing is, is that they, I, I think naturally, most um, technicians, especially, they want to be busy. They don't want to yeah. go into a shop. They have skills. They want to work. You know, they want to go into a shop that is busy and, um, you know, has is interesting, has interesting work. Um, and so one of the things that we've actually been talking to several shop owners about is, you know, if you're looking for that A-level technician, we need to make sure that... You 
you have enough business for that person. If that person no. is um, wanting to turn, you know, 50 hours or 50 plus hours consistently, like how are you going to prove to them that they are going to be able to um, earn the kind of money that they want to earn that way? And there is a trust level that comes on both sides. Um, partic- hey, everyone, it's Lucas. I'm sorry to jump in, but I thought it was important to come and say this. You know, I'm often asked, why do we always talk about Kim and Brian Walker and shop marketing pros on the show? It's because we genuinely believe in their product. Why do I use them for my own marketing? In fact, they're building me a new website right now. It's not cookie cutter. I kept getting on Facebook and every shop looked the exact same. I didn't want to be that. And it's not just that. It's that they're part of your team. When you hire them to do your marketing, they get to know you. They know what you believe. They know what you say and they know why you do what you do. And they share that with your clients. That's huge. And beyond all of that, probably the most important factor in all of this is they stand behind their work. So don't wait. Go today and get your free marketing analysis from Shop Marketing Pros. They're genuinely our friends and they're genuinely here to help shop owners have a better life. Click on the link in the show notes for your free marketing analysis today. That's right. It's free. Doesn't cost you a dime. Particularly with the experienced technicians that are kind of that passive candidate, we do work with active candidates that come from, you know, all of your major job boards, of course, but we also tap into the passive network of candidates because sometimes those folks are even the best ones. So how do we get those people to choose your shop? So um, oftentimes what we've seen people do is, hey, I'm going to do a guarantee for you. So I'm going to guarantee you 40 hours a week at this rate, knowing that you have the the ability to turn, you know, 50 plus hours so that it gives them that sense of security that, um, you know, as the shop maybe goes through ups and downs, or if we're bringing on a tech before the marketing is fully ramped, we can make sure that that technician has consistent pay. So I think that's been a big thing for our more experienced um, tech. Technicians, obviously, um, I think in general, I most of the shops we work with um, do have uh, great benefits packages. I mean, benefits are a must, I think, these days, you know, and anything that you can provide towards those benefits um, is just an extra perk. Um, a good working environment, nobody wants to come into like a dirty shop that, yeah. you know, is hot and uncomfortable, you know, so depending on the part of the country, you know, maybe there's, um, there's an option for AC, that's been a big selling point um, for technicians. And I think just, um, you know, we, we see people that they want to be part of the family. So especially if they're coming from, you know, a dealership or something like that, where it's just a, hey, you're a number. Um, they, I do think, uh, find it to be rewarding to work for a company that is um, there where they really feel a part of it. And they feel a true part of that company's success and the growth. And we see that in, um, in the independent space, especially. So feeling like they are a part of the family of that shop and even sometimes the extended family, their their wives, their kids or whatever are part of that whole community, I think is really important uh, to people. So let me ask you this. You've been doing this a long time and and you've dealt with a lot of businesses that 
will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And and that's one of the big complaints from technicians is they all say what they want to hear. They all say, oh, we'll do this. And, and you know, one of the things we're always telling them is get it in writing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't go mm-hmm. to a shop unless they've given it to you in writing because yes. there's a good chance that's going to change. And, and yes. you know, as a shop owner, I can even see how that could happen. Right. Like I'm super busy and life is hectic and life is crazy and I'm I'm paying them a certain way and there's a little bit of complexity to it. And I drop the ball somewhere. I tell mm-hmm. somebody I'm going to do something. I forgot about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of folks say, well, you told them you shouldn't forget. I get it. I understand. But sometimes it happens whether we want it to or not. H- how do you vet a shop? Right. How, do you is there just a spidey sense that, you know, like, hey, dude, this this guy's giving me a line of bull. Do you do you have a way that you can kind of pick up on that? Because it would seem if if you're placing these people and that shop is not who they say they are and you put somebody in there, it's not going to be long before you get a bad reputation too. your reputation kind of depends on the shop and kind of depends on the tech, too. How do you how do you balance that? Yeah. Um, do, do, Joel, do you want to take this or do you want me to? I can chime in, too. I can't hear her. I think can you guys muted. hear her? Did you mute? Can you hear me? I can yes. hear you. Okay, All right. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take this one. Um, so, you know, as a as a shop approaches us or we're in conversations talking about it, that you know, I'm I'm kind of that front line, right? And we're we're even working on fine-tuning it even more so that we can ensure that, you know, our reputation and, and the shop's reputation and everything that we're doing, you know, we can we could firmly stand behind, which I believe we are today, um, with the sixty-one shops we're working with. Um you know, I have relationships or have at least set high at certain trade shows to a majority of them, but there's a lot that are new shops that I haven't talked to. And um, I've talked to hundreds over the last few months. And, you know, what I kind of do before is I do a little bit of my homework. You know, I'm looking at their website, um, seeing what partners they're working with, uh, looking at pictures of the shop. And again, that doesn't tell the full story, but you could kind of get a good feel and gauge based on their reviews and and their website. And are they professional, um, at least from an appearance standpoint? And then as I'm going through and learning more about their business, you know, I'm, I'm asking, are they part of a coaching group? Um, that's just one of one of the questions. Is you know, are they are they invested in bettering themselves and and working on things and growing? Um, you know, who are they using for their shop management system? Are they utilizing digital vehicle inspection? Um, do they have AC in certain areas? So we kind of have our list of questions on the front end um, to really go through. And and I like to think I have a pretty good judge of character and transparency in people. So a lot of it is is a gut check too, even with those questions, because anyone could be SE and, and say the right things. But um, just kind of how the conversation goes initially, you could you could get a feel if if this is the type of person and partner that you know you want to get into business with. Um, then from there, pass it on to our account managers and, and Amy and Deirdre are playing the account manager role today. So Amy has her page and a half of questions too for the shop intake call. So that's where Amy goes through. What are your benefits, compensation? What type of culture do you have? Even more in depth on everything that we need to know to really have a good understanding of that shop and the type of person they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Then from there, we pass it to our recruiters and our recruiters have another page and a half, two pages of (laughs) questions for the candidates. So the cool thing is, is when we were modeling this thing out, we didn't have that account manager role originally. Mm -hmm. And we said, okay, it makes more sense for the shop to have that point person and the recruiters can 
focus solely on the candidate side, build relationships with them, screen them out, vet them out. Um, so on their end, they're asking again, like I was mentioning earlier, what scan tools are you using? How many flagged hours are you averaging per week? Um, what, what type of culture are you looking for? What makes and models have you worked on? Um, so specific questions, high level questions, how far are you willing to drive? Um, so we really try to capture at each stage a list of those questions to ensure that one, it's the right fit. And two, we can really try and find that quality candidate for the right shop. So it's matchmaking. I mean, we're really trying to to place the right candidate with the right shop. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Any So up to this point, Amy, mm-hmm. have you ever had like the red flags that pop up? You, you oh, yeah. Sh- and I, I don't listen. I don't want you to give away <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the secrets. Right. Like because then shops are just going to know how to bypass. Right. But, but in the same respect. I She's think it would be give important. us one, at least one. <laughs> What's one red flag? Right. Let, let, um, I, I, it might be good for the technicians. Right? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a lot of technicians who listen. Right. And, and maybe they've not been picked up by your recruiting service yet. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't know mm-hmm. about it or or maybe they're not comfortable doing that. If, if you're looking at a shop, what are some red flags that you can share with them? Because these guys, I, I'm telling you, just what was it like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe longer yeah. than that, David? We had a we had a guy, and he sends us a message on Facebook, and he said, "Hey, I'm going to work for this shop. Mm-hmm. They they have this certain kind of thing that that everybody knows about in the industry, and and I question it, but they're telling me they're going to pay me really well. They're mm-hmm. going to pay me this much, and I'm going to work this kind of hours. I'm going to do this, this, and this." And a weekend, he sends a message and he says, I don't know, man. I don't think. He's like, they, they sent me a bill to move my own toolbox. Wow. Oh, said, oh my they, gosh. A, that's crazy. We did yeah. a YouTube video on it. The guy, yeah. The guy, yeah. The guy said he was going to do all diag work and, and then the, <laughs> the shop made him yeah. pay for his own toolbox move. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, yeah. Red flag yeah. Right there for us. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's red flags on both sides, right? So we, mm-hmm. um, on the, on the shop side, I mean, typically when a shop gets to me, Joelle's pretty much vetted them out, you know? So, um, if they are, if they are waffling on how they're going to pay that person or they're not clear or even on our initial call, they're way below market pay, mm-hmm. we're going to just, um, our goal is to show them data of, okay, here's what these people are costing in your area. Um, these are the types of people we're placing, and this is how much they are asking for. Um, and we're, we're, you know, vetting them out on the front end. If they're not, ha- if they don't have benefits, if they don't have a paid time off policy or anything like that, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard for us to fill yeah. their job because we are looking for, uh, we are really, we all know that there is a shortage of talent out there. Mm-hmm. And um, Joelle and I haven't, and our partners haven't come into this business to, you know, solve the technor- technician challenge or shortage. Um, but our hope is if we can pair people with good shops and they can grow, that we retain people in the industry and that, you know, the word spreads that, hey, you know, we, this is a great industry to be in and this is a great career path. And that's really part of our one of our big uh, values and, and missions um, for the 
this company. So we are really trying to see why did the people, why are you looking to fill this job? If, oh, well, the last three technicians just walked out and didn't give me any notice. Okay, well, that might be a red flag. You know, what's going on? So even my recruiters that I work with will ask if we start to see a job um, or a shop that we're working with that has constant needs and we're filling the need and then there's more needs and more needs and more needs. It's like, well, what's going on in the shop? Is there a problem with the culture or the environment or the... um, or the workload that's coming in. So we're trying to really dig in. And a lot of it is just like asking those open-ended questions and seeing if we can kind of get to the bottom of it. On the candidate side, we are, um, we do definitely, I would say a lot of our job is to identify red flags. So uh, one of the things that um, Joelle and I um, and the rest of the team always talk about is we're not here just to send you resumes. Resumes. That's not the service that we are providing. Um, that could be anybody could just have, you know, post a job and send you resumes. What we're doing is we are really uh, vetting those candidates. So I would say that we are, I mean, of the candidates, the resumes that we view and we look at, and then from there, the candidates that we actually speak with, we're vetting out a lot of those candidates before they, most, I should say, of those candidates before they even get to the shop. So when we are talking with the candidate, not only are we screening them, but we're actually scheduling multiple touch points with that candidate so that, you know, we're touching base with them via text, over the phone, we're scheduling time to chat with them to make sure that are they doing what they said they're going to do? If they said that they want to talk to us at 10 o'clock, are they ready to talk to us at 10 o'clock? And if we're starting Starting to see that, hey, you know, this person's unresponsive or they don't yeah. really seem real, then we're we're pulling that person out of the process. So we do a lot of that on the front end with our um, with our technicians and and service advisors and everything else that we send to our shops. We also um, dig in a lot into their background. Why did you leave this position? Wow, that was a short stint. Why what what happened there? You know, and and naturally, um, there's going to be times where we take jobs and it's not a good fit and yeah. it's not going to be our long-term job and we might have to leave. But if we start to see, you know, six months here, six months here, three months friend. here, yeah. yeah, then we're starting to say, okay, you know, where is where's the truth in everything? Thing and you know we may or may not um, send that candidate forward. I think, um, especially in this industry, but I would say it applies to all industries. I mean, longevity I think is really valued, and so um, if we see a technician that has stayed with uh, multiple shops for a consistent period of time and they're reputable shops, then we should know that likely they are. You you know, they are what they say they are and they can do what they say they can do. But um, so that's so those are some of the things that we try to do on our end to make it easier for the shop owner once they see the resume. So I'm really interested because it, 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 you bring this up in a couple different spots throughout. And, and you say you're vetting their benefit package. You're vetting the mm-hmm. pay. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Of the percentage of folks that come to you. 
and mm-hmm. and it's a it's a it's a raw uh shop right like you've mm-hmm. not you've not coached them you've not worked them through it mm-hmm. what's the percentage that are coming to you and you're saying dude you're not going to get somebody for that you're going to have to pay them what what percentage are you seeing that are just terribly low you know we we see the perspective of a lot of technicians in the groups mm-hmm. and they all feel like all of the pay is extremely low and and you know a lot of them are saying we should be paid $100,000 a year and that is a huge sticking point for david i don't mean to set him off but he's like <laughs> $100,000 a year in san diego you're going to go broke $100,000 yes. a year in the middle of tennessee you're you're going to be living like a king. Yes. Right? Yes. And so what's the percentage you're seeing that are, are coming in and they're super low? They're just like unbelievably low. Do you have a number for that? Amy, I mean, you. I would say just and if if you want to kind of add more since mm-hmm. during your, yeah. your intake calls. But yeah. I would say that 90% plus are usually mm-hmm. within the range of where they should be. We've had a handful of shops that Amy's worked with that have said, or, you know, where she was saying, okay, you're looking for a B tech in this range or an A tech in this range. And there's, you know, there's no way that's going to happen pretty much. And again, that goes back to being able to have that partnership in those conversations um, where we're making recommendations. I mean, we can't tell a shop what to do, but we can make suggestions. And, um, you know, with one shop in particular, uh, on the front end, you know, I think, Amy, you, you had that conversation and mm-hmm. we still went to work and tried mm-hmm. and, you know, found a, a candidate or two and they actually turned down the, the offer because of the pay. So I think that was kind of a, you know, a uh, went off in the shop owner's head to say like, okay, maybe I do need to reevaluate this. And then Amy and him worked together on it. And I mean, he couldn't be more thankful and finally got somebody in there um, just by kind of working on that pay scale. And then I made a note when Amy was talking earlier too about, you know, benefits. And I would say that, you know, there's there's been a handful of shops that um, have come to us that we're working with that mm-hmm. some offer the full-blown benefits package, IRA, 401k, um, vacation time, you know, some still do it after a year, some are after 90 days. Um, but I've talked with shops that depending on their shop and when we were starting, we said, okay, we think, uh, our ideal customer, let's just say, you know, over a million dollars, uh, in revenue, we learned quickly that that doesn't matter. I mean, you can, you could be, you could have be a $500,000 shop and be an amazing shop and have the right culture and benefits. Mm -hmm. So like that was just Mm -hmm. an assumption in our head trying to start somewhere. And we, we moved off of that real quick in week one. Um, with the benefit side of things, I would say that there are, you know, three, four, five, six bay shops we're working with that, you know, maybe they have four technicians, but their spouse, they're on their health insurance and they haven't had to roll out a full-blown benefits package, but they're open to saying, okay, I will pay them a couple extra hundred dollars more to go towards their own individual. So that's okay too. I mean, every shop's not going to have this full-blown package depending on their size, their existing employees and, and insurance and things like that. So as long as that they're open to taking care of that employee where they can and where it makes sense. Um, that's really what we're looking for. 
Yeah. And I would say also just to add, you know, for us, like we understand that our service, you know, I would say if a shop is not paying their employees well, and they're not treating their employees well, then they may not be, they may not want to use a staffing firm to help them fill their needs, you know, so I don't want us to discount, you know, all of us, me too, like to discount that there are a lot of shops out there that aren't doing these things. Um, I think that they're um, we we are fortunate that when a, a shop uh, talks to us or is interested in providing this service, nine times out of ten they do value their staff because that's why they're coming to us for you know staffing yeah. support and for us to try to find the best talent for them. So I would agree with um, Joelle that most of the time the shops that we work with there might be variables um, but they're um, typically very open to hearing market data and surprisingly um, I've noticed that, Really, our our shop owners, even some of the um, you know the best of the best shop owners, they're, uh, oftentimes they're so busy running their business, they're not out there talking to technicians all over the country every yeah, every sure. day and all day. And so we've been able to uh, hopefully, in many cases, provide value to them. On here's what the technicians are saying. This is why the these are the scenarios when we've been able to secure the the top talent for this shop. You know, these are the things that this sh- that these shops are doing and uh, most of the time the people that we're working with um, they're open to to listening to that feedback and we'll provide that data to them so that they can really see a full picture as to what's out there in the market. Well, and and so I want to touch on on benefits here for a minute because mm-hmm. you know just this morning I had somebody message me and said, "Hey, you know, there's this business. They've got a very long-standing, very positive relationship. They've got great reviews. Mm-hmm. It's everything I'm looking for, but I'm worried that them not having health insurance is a hard no for me." Yeah. And I said, "Well, you need to go back and talk to them and and share with them that you're considering that being a hard no." And he said, "Well, I just don't know if it should be a hard no or not." And I said, "Listen, I, I ran into a couple different scenarios where I said I would rather give them extra money for their own health insurance. Mm-hmm. And and part of that for me was, and it may be that I'm uneducated and I just don't know where to get the information I need or who to talk to. But the reality was, is for me to provide the quality of health care that they could get elsewhere was going to cost substantially more than if they went and got their own health care. And, right. and then on top of that, at the time that I was looking at that, I'm, I'm putting all this information in. I had somebody working for me that had some disabilities and they had a very specific health plan that was partially funded by the state. Mm-hmm. And and they had a family member involved and the family member came to me and said, listen, I work for DSS and I know that your insurance company is not going to tell you this. If you offer insurance and and it is comparable to what he has, they will take this special coverage insurance away from him. It is going to be much more expensive for him, for me, for you, for everybody, and it's not going to be the coverage that he needs. And mm-hmm. so if you offer coverage through the business, they're going to yank that away from him in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And I thought, surely that's not true. And I called the insurance agent. He's like, yeah, about that. Yeah, they're going to. Yeah. They're going to pull wow. that coverage, and we can't offer the coverage that he needs because mm-hmm. it, it's going to cost you $124,000 a year to wow. cover him at that yeah. level. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I can't do that. And I, so I don't think that saying I don't have a health insurance program is a 
a full cut a cutoff, like Joel said. Like, hey, Correct. let's give yeah. them a stipend. Let's give them yep. something to cover that insurance. Yeah. Um, and and you know, you mentioned the data. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the data. What type of data are you analyzing when you're going to these shops? Because I mean, that seems like a pretty valuable service. Even if I hired you not to bring me a technician, right? yeah. like having yeah. that data is pretty big. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we we're, we're still. I think data is always like ever evolving, right? There's never like one set of data that's going to be the the exact set of data, you know, forever. So um, when we're looking at data, a lot of that is just what are shops paying, what are they offering, what are the technicians in your area typically looking for from a pay standpoint, what are the dealerships paying at these levels? So because we are living and breathing all day, every day, talking to candidates at all different levels, and then talking to shops at all different levels across the country. We're able to say we're able to see through that that those conversations and that data, and we do take that in that data um, that's given to us by the candidates, by the dealerships, by the shops, and everything. And we will um, do kind of a market. A market analysis and say, hey, if if we were to put this in Google and see what other shops are paying, like, does this data line up? So, um, you know, I think because we are are really in this space all day, every day, we're able to do uh, a, a lot of. Um, you know, data validations, data checks to see, to make sure that um, what our shops are offering align with what the market is saying. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, obviously we're, we're four and a half months old. And as we're taking on more shops, talking with more candidates and, and working in different markets, um, we're collecting all that. And we kind of have our short-term, medium-term, long-term plans and visions um, as we evolve. And, you know, being able to right now, we're kind of having that consultant conversations and recommendations. And just as time goes on, the more valuable um, those will be because we'll just have we'll have more of that that data um, on pay and on benefits. So we're collecting all of that. And, you know, as we build out our client portal to log in on the back end, you know, you'll be able to see, you know, shops will eventually be able to see kind of that range and take away tips and trips, tricks. And, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at right now, we're calling it the off season when shops are fully staffed and they mm-hmm. may not need somebody working on that ongoing value with things like that and right. culture information and retention information. And, and again, we want to, we want to be, I think the cool part for um, what we're doing and especially on my end is when I'm talking with shops initially is we're our job is to get you that right person you're looking for. But more than that is we want to help where we can. If someone asks me, hey, do you know of a good coaching company? Do you know of a good, I'm using so-and-so for my website, but I'm not happy. I mean, yeah. I've had five and a half years of working with 30 plus different vendors and building relationships. So I'm not going to bullshit someone and say, hey, yeah, I know the answer. If I don't, I'll find the answer for them. But that's where it's it's relationships and partnerships and really just being able to help them in more than your self-serving need to mm-hmm. make money on a placement. But how can we help them make money in their other areas if their website's lacking or whatever right. the case may be? So that's very, that's really important to us to, to help where we can. It, the, the reason we call this the Changing the Industry podcast um, – <laughs> Is because um, we wanted to take the 
a uh, flamethrower through to most of the business models that are currently uh, available or um, prevalent. Let's say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is uh, everything we have done to this point has gotten us where we're at right now. We're hundreds of thousands of technicians short. There's a huge shortage yep. of for, uh, for, for trades people um, in this industry and other industries. And the public perception of automotive repair overwhelmingly is that uh, everybody is a shyster and that they're charging them for things they don't need and disrespectful to women and on and on. You can just keep piling on all the negative stereotypes. And I think this was a result of everything we've done, all our actions. Yeah. And one of them is building the business around that dealership business model, the flat rate, flag as much as you can, A, B, C, D technician mm-hmm. designation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can understand having to work within that, but you should know <laughs> that our goal is to burn that to the ground and never see it again. <laughs> yeah. I, and well, I'll give yeah. you an idea of what I'm talking about, just so you yeah. can put some, some context around it. An A technician uh, is, in in our world, in my world, uh, not so much Lucas. He he speaks in those terms. I hate I hate that that term. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I use it. the term quite frequently, yeah. but I do too. Well, I hate it. Yeah, yeah. So it's part of the vernacular, and it shouldn't be because for the average shop owner, they hear an A level technician. What they mean is the guy can or, or gal can flag them. 50 plus hours and can work on anything. That's what yes. they mean. But you hire in or you start to recruit a skilled diagnostician. That skilled diagnostician is probably not going to flag you 50 hours. That person is going to flag you maybe 30, maybe 40, depending on what you give them. So mm-hmm. in their mind, the technician's mind, they are a quote-unquote A-level technician. That is because they have invested a ridiculous amount of time and effort and money into learning specific skills. They can pull a lab scope out. They can decipher a secondary wave pattern. And that little squiggle is not supposed to be there. And 90% of, of technicians will miss that squiggle and not recognize that that is a valve lash issue on a Honda. And we need to do uh, a valve adjustment. Most technicians won't catch that on a secondary wave pattern or uh, intake pulse, whatever, right? They, in their minds, they're an A-level technician. They show up to a shop who just hired an A-level technician and flag them 35 hours, paying them what they need to pay them to keep them on board, and all of a sudden, we have a conflict. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so, the technician, their idea of A-level and the shop owner's idea of A-level are two different things sometimes. Sometimes. The other thing, too, is a technician that has no idea how to use a lab scope, but can flag that flag 50 hours because they just hustle 
and they just work mm-hmm. very quickly. And maybe they're smashy bear a little bit, but not enough that it becomes a problem. They know the tricks. In other words, uh, they all see themselves as an A-level technician. But that's not who I want. I want a diagnostician. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's yeah, why that's why I yeah. think it's so important during Amy's intake call because again, I mean, yes, we're uh, A, B, C, general service, and and those those titles, right? Um, but that's where we really get into okay, like what are they going to be working on? How many yeah. hours are you expecting? So having those conversations with our shop before we start to get to work on the recruiting side, um, because again, we we have this conversation all the time: is yeah, tech thinks they're an A tech, but shop thinks they're a B tech, or whatever the case may be. And every shop does different types of work, and if they're working on euros versus um, versus you can domestic see, like, versus diesel techs. If- yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see the problem though is that you just you just said it. The technician walks in thinking I can flag fifty to sixty hours without yeah. any problem, and all of a sudden that shop owner who just hired a quote unquote a tech because that's what the technician thinks themselves as, and you guys have a conversation and and maybe feel that this person is confident enough in their skills and usually they are they're very confident in their skills <laughs> yeah. they walk into that shop and that's that shop owner hands them a can bus communication problem on a module on the back of a land rover and that technician who is used to doing a certain type just of quit that technician or no no if it's their first day they'll try eight hours right. later on that one hour diag, yeah. they're like, I don't know what else to do. And, yeah. and, and then the shop owner's calling you upset, going, Hey, you just sent me an A level guy who, who, yeah, he might be able to fly me 50 hours, but he can't do this diagnosis. Now we have this massive conflict. And my point is in, we keep using this vernacular and I don't blame you guys. You guys keep using it, but we specifically yeah. are trying to get rid of it. Yeah, you, patri- you patriots do everything different. So. <laughs> that, that's that's very true. Very true. Including losing football games. Yeah. Okay, I'm just pointing it out. I'm just pointing it out. The least amount in 20 years. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? That's funny. Anyway. Well, you know, yeah, yeah we, um, it's yeah. funny because we we use the term because our shops use the term, right? So, and they and, yeah, stop. and um, and well, I would say this that my team knows, and like as Joelle was saying, um, that whether it's an A level or a B level or even a C versus a GS, like that. I mean, there's even variables in that, you know, and one shop will say an A level does this. And then another shop will say, I want an A level to do that. So it's very inconsistent. I would say that across the, across all of the shops that we work with. And so to what, um, to add to what Joelle was saying, like, our job, none of us, even with Joelle's industry experience, are able to, you know, diagnose a car. You know, we are not technicians, right? But, um, and we don't, we say we're experts in staffing. We're not experts in, you know, diagnosing vehicles. But, um, so we want to really understand um, in, in detail what that shop owner is looking for. So when they say ATEC, 
what exactly is this person going to be doing on a day-to-day basis? And that may change, right? They might say, I think we want them to do heavy diagnostics and that's all that they're doing. Or some of our people will say, hey, I want them to do some level of diagnostics, but I need them to turn this many hours. So what we try to do is not focus as much on that terminology, because even to your point with the the technician side, one person will say, well, I'm an A-tech, and then the shop will interview them and say, no, they're a strong B, you know, so it's, it varies. So we want to try to, you know, through our conversations, like use that terminology as a guideline, but then really say, okay, what exactly are they going to be doing day to day? And then from the candidate side, from the technician side, okay, what do you do day to day? Where do you spend your time? Like walk us through some of the things that you focus on and then try to make that match that way. So it's not a, it's not a perfect science, you know, it's the people business, but um, if we can dig in and ask um, the right questions on both sides, we hope to, you know, make that match. For sure. Sure. For sure. Yeah. I can see that the, the, um, the other issue is this concept of career path. Uh, Lucas uses it all the time. I hate it. And <laughs> I just hate it because I say it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, it, it's a, I don't know. In, in my, in my mind, it's absurd. The, the, a, a technician goes into the industry to, to work on cars. Like that's what they're doing. What else are you going to do? Now, within that, there's a lot of different types of work. Right. You're going to be doing interior or heavy line. You're going to be swapping transmissions or you're going to be doing diagnostic work. The it, different loads on the body mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. different requirements mindset wise and uh, skill and intelligent wise different. And so the idea is not necessarily like, what's your career path? I want to work on cars. Great. Work on cars for the next 40 years. Mm hmm. Just don't stay at the same skill level. But, but, and, and I get that, right? Like, I completely understand no, that. And I'm okay. Because you're telling them, like, oh, what's the career I, look, path? The next I'm, step I'm is okay I got to become a shop foreman, but, and then I got to become a service advisor. No, and then no, I no, become no, a no, 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 career path is, is that the shop that they work for provides a 401k and enough benefits and provides some type of medical coverage and some type of disability coverage. So if something happens and they can't do that job anymore, right? And when I talk about career path, that's what I'm talking about is the opportunity to do something else if you can't do this job anymore, because there's a lot of technicians. You look at Eric, Eric almost got to the point he couldn't do this job anymore, had that arm surgery and lost the feeling in his hands and everything else. That's a that's a critical part of doing this job. And so if you lose that ability, you have got to be able to do something else. And and I think that's what sucks about where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Our trade never provided mm-hmm. retirement. They never yeah. provided those coverages. So if you got hurt, you had something on the backside of that. Now, some shops do. We do here now, right? We've got a 401k. We've got all these other things we're doing to try and make sure they're protected. But I'm, David, I'm not necessarily saying that career path means that you're going to become a shop owner. You're going to move up to foreman. You're going to move up to service advisor. That's one option. 
But in the same respect, I'm really trying to say, so hey, I'm we need for to like make sure. half a percent of technicians. Of course. I, I understand course. what you're saying. I'm saying most people don't understand what you're saying. They hear career okay. path and that's what they're thinking. They're like, I got to move up the ladder towards a level of incompetence where I'm no longer happy or no longer doing what I'm really good at doing. Yeah. Stay really good at doing what you're doing and just don't stay at the same skill level. Just expand your abilities into less demanding work. Like it, okay. it's easy physically. It's demanding, but. Skill-wise, it's not that hard to swap in a transmission. It's just heavy and dirty, and but it's it's a different skill level to be able to diagnose whatever a bad module on a car. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, I see. I see what you're both saying, and I, I would say, I mean, no matter if it's if it's you know this industry or different industry or corporate or independently owned. I mean, it goes back to the people, right? I mean, one one technician maybe okay being a, a solid b tech or someone that yeah. can do certain jobs and they're fine with that and then you have other techs that could diagnose and they want to work their way up and then you have other ones that want to be a service advisor forever and then it's the same thing on the shop side is you know maybe you have a stagnant shop owner that doesn't really care to give those career opportunities because mm-hmm. they have five years left and they're doing fine and they're writing it out um so it's 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 got to be that perfect blend and match. And, you know, we we all need people that want to advance and grow their career in whichever way that looks like. Um, and then the world goes round with the people that are comfortable and good at what they do and are okay staying there. So I, I see both of your uh, both of your sides, but I just still have to lean towards Lucas's side just because it's you, David. <laughs> <laughs> we all disagree with David. It's okay. <laughs> That's just how it is. I, you know, it, it, look, I'm, I'm involved with, with the local chamber and, and the local high school and local community colleges. And I'm seeing what's happening with not just our trade, right? And, mm-hmm. and Amy, maybe you can speak to that. I don't think it's just the automotive space that's looking for skilled workers right now. Oh, right. Yeah, and, exactly. And I think that for the longest time, we've been in this situation where we didn't really value skilled workers. And, mm-hmm. and the skilled worker is who built the American economy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you, they built the American economy as we know it today. They built the infrastructure that we drive on. Right. Like that, that is where America came from in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think my fear is, is that, you know, a whole generation said work smarter, not harder. A whole generation said get a four year degree. Mm-hmm. And, and we wanted the best. Right. Like they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We wanted the best for those workers. We wanted the best for our children. We wanted the best for those people that we were saying that to. But we never thought about the unintentional consequences that would come from that. And now we've got to a situation where we don't have that 40, 50, 60 year old skilled worker to teach the next generation how to do this anymore. They're not interested in teaching them because they're like, they, you know, this is a completely different generation than mine. They're not willing to learn. They're not willing to listen. And so we have to build structure around that, mm-hmm. right? We have to have the right mentor in the shop. We have to teach them to be mentors. We have to teach them to teach. It's yeah. a different environment than it's ever been before. Amy, how do we compare to other industries when we I talk love that about you're asking? Yeah, I, I love that you're asking me this question because um, I have a very different perspective on this because of not um, being fairly new to the industry. So, I most of my career up to this point has been in 
um, corporate America staffing and specifically technology staffing. So um, interestingly enough, um, and we see this in some of our West Coast um, shops and our West Coast markets that we'll have people that worked as an automotive technician or started as an automotive technician and then will flip to technology, software engineering or you know something like that because it is that similar mindset of learning how to solve problems and um, engineering problems and things. So my most of my career has been in technology staffing. And I can tell you this, the technology market right now for jobs is struggling. You know, so we, um, they don't have as many jobs. Companies aren't hiring. We've seen in the, in the news, um, you know, major companies like Facebook and Google and, you know, all of these different companies, um, have been laying off people. And guess what's on fire right now? The automotive market. So Joelle and I are, you know, we are uh, focusing on filling jobs. I mean, the jobs that we have and the candidates that we're putting in there, uh, we're able to fill jobs fast. When we have the talent, uh, we're able to fill that job quickly. And then, um, you know, on the technology side, because there were so many people that went into these um, this technology space and spe- and particularly when things started to change through COVID and people working remotely and now there's one job in one part of the country where every applicant across any part of the country can right. apply for that job. It's become really, really difficult for that space. And so um, from my perspective, I think it's just, a, it, it's, comes from, you know, that early introduction of this as a um, as a career for these people. So I, I do agree with you, Lucas, that it's been, you know, pushed in um, high school and with, through the families, you know, get your degree, you know, computers, technology is where it's at. And if we can um, really just open up uh, the the dialogue around the, tr- the specific trade industries and what the career could look like and how and what the earnings are it's been you know it's it's amazing how uh successful you can be in this industry and when you compare that to industries like technology or finance or whatever really the dollars are very similar and now that we're having um companies provide these thorough packages around benefits and paid time off and you know simple iras and you know things like that we're really um, starting to see that there are, um, there is a true career path in this space and the need is there. There's, um, so, you know, it's a matter of us starting, I think, at the high school and even probably before that and having people on middle school. school, Yeah. Yeah. And letting people know that this is a, is a great path for them. You know, if you knew how many guidance counselors I've talked to in the last couple of years, that mm-hmm. when I said, hey, you can earn 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 yes. as an automotive technician, as an automotive service advisor, and yes. see their jaw drop and them say, yeah. holy cow. 
And yes. when you Google, add some you very- Google right now, how much can you make? It's like, okay, you make 50 grand as an automotive technician. And like, that's, we all know that's not true. I mean, yes, you can no. make 50, but that's not the, like, we, there's no data out there to really hone in exactly. on that average technician well, based on market. And, and, and you know, I, I was always like, I had some very candid conversations with some of these and they said, hey, we've been sending students that are, sh- are struggling elsewhere. And, and they're struggling with math and they're struggling with reading comprehension. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, don't send them to automotive. Like, you don't <laughs> understand what you're putting them into. Yeah. And yeah. so then you get them involved with the classes and they're like, holy cow, I don't understand that. And I'm like, yeah. right. You, but you're sending somebody that you think is going to go turn a wrench back and forth. That's not yep. what's happening. And yeah. I'm not saying that those kids couldn't excel at that. But, but they're discounting this trade or this profession. Right. And saying, well, and it's because they don't understand it. We've not done a good job. Right. I, I remember Micro saying years ago that we need to have a campaign for hard work in this country. Right. And I, I could not agree more. Uh, you know, and and here's the thing. I, I, I see this EPROM stuff right now, and I'm sure you guys have heard some of this. And and it's where you're taking an actual board and you're you're attaching to the chipset on the board itself. And if you had said 20 years ago to any automotive technician that that's what automotive technicians are going to be doing in 2023 and 2024, they would laugh at you, yeah. right? <laughs> Have you seen that shift to where these folks are saying, hey, I'm actually looking for more of a network engineer type guy. I'm looking for someone with a very, very advanced skill set. Have you guys seen that yet? Is that something you guys offer? I don't know that we've seen that yet. Um, no, I, but I would say what I am definitely seeing, um, which, uh, you know, is I think just something to, to note is that we'll, we are seeing people that, especially like in the new grad space that will graduate with maybe a two year, uh, degree in some sort of computer science or technology, mm-hmm. uh, computers. And then they'll decide, eh, I don't want to sit in front of the computer all day yep. and type. I And then they'll switch to the automotive industry. Wow. So, yeah. So, we are starting to see that shift a bit. Um, but I haven't yet had um, shops ask me for that type of skill set. I don't know. What about you, Joelle? Yeah, not not quite in that level of depth. I was talking to the shop the other day and, you know, they just bought an Altel ADOS. They're really starting to get their feet wet. And, it, it, again, depends on depends on the shop and with emerging technologies and EV and who's dabbling in ADOS right now yeah. and starting to get the right tools and equipment and training and um, things like that. So we, yeah, we haven't really, even when we were brainstorming, like we have on, I think on our website and we're calling them automotive engineers in just a new way because it is more than turning a wrench and with the technology yeah. that's going into the vehicles today. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we could, we could have a whole nother podcast on this topic yeah. starting in the middle <laughs> schools and and working with the I on the ASC board education foundation board and all the accredited schools out there and we're starting to make the connections with some technical schools in certain areas that are looking for more general service entry level type positions mm-hmm. so um, again got to crawl before we walk walk before we run but those are some of the things that we're starting to do to contribute towards this shortage because right now a lot of it's retaining this talent right before they leave the industry um but we definitely have our goals and and some things that we're starting to work towards to to contribute towards the shortage and try and get these students in the industry or keep you know i've seen a couple of the the high school programs 
And I thought it was really interesting because they had like dual programs where they were doing projects, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for instance, our local high school did some EV type projects and they mm-hmm. involved everybody. So they involved the, the art class and they said, Hey, you design the logo for the automotive group and you, you design the, the graphics for the car and, and mm-hmm. did some really neat stuff like that. And they involved all of these people. And I'll never forget one of the conversations was, is, Hey, this controller for this car, um, what we're needing to do is we're needing to rewrite the hexadecimal code in, in the controller. And, and we found all of this data and here's a white paper on it. And it explains what it is we're trying to accomplish. And the, the computer teacher and the engineering group said, you realize that's like next level complex. And yet these automotive students have figured it 99.99% of the way out. And he's like, I've never even seen this. I wouldn't even know how to interpret this. How did you figure this out? And they said, well, we just sat down and we found this white paper and we read this. Can you help us with it? Mm -hmm. And he made connections for them to say like, hey, do this, do this, do this. These kids figured out something that, you know, later on, the the automotive engineers that the manufacturers are calling saying, hey, can you help us with this? We don't really know how this works, right? Mm -hmm. And that's amazing to think. That, that the guys who used to be grease monkeys, the guys who used to be doing this, this, what was considered a simple, uh, a simple task is, are, are now revered as some of the smartest in the world, right? And, and even then, even if we are a bunch of grease monkeys, I, I tell a story about this gentleman that comes in the shop. He's from Florida and he comes in. I'm going to use bad words so everybody cover your ears. Um, <laughs> he comes in and he says, you know, I want you to fix my truck. You guys do a great job. And he has this beautiful Ford pickup. It's probably a $120,000 pickup. He's got a camper. He comes up here. He stays up here for like six months out of the year. And he goes back to Florida. And he said, you know, son, he said, I'm a damn garbage man. And I've got over a million dollars in the bank because I worked my ass off. And wow, he said, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I worked my ass off. I was a mechanic and a garbage man in New York City. He said, I was smart about my money. I did a good job. It doesn't matter what job you do. It's what mm-hmm. you do with the job that you have. It's how you manage your money. That That's mm-hmm. the important mm-hmm. thing. And, and you know, look, he's like, I don't care if they hate me because I was a fucking garbage man. I got <laughs> money in my bank account. I don't care. Right? It doesn't <laughs> matter to me. And and so I, I think we got to stop looking at the stature of the job. Well, I don't want to be an automotive technician because it's a greasy job. Nah, man. Like, I'm going to take care of my family, right? And so I think we got to change the whole way we view careers in this country, you know? Yeah. Totally agree. Great. I think that's what, that was one of the big reasons why we wanted to do this. And like, that is, I would say, um, one of our, as a team, that is a passion of ours is just to bring awareness. Um, and, you know, think about it this way. If you, if you are working in a shop and you're happy and you come home to your family and you're happy and they see you happy and your children see you happy and, you know, it really yeah. starts to extend to, hey, this is what, you know, this is what I do and this is what I'm passionate about. And that's really like sometimes those conversations that just happen after work or at the dinner table or whatever, that's when, you know, those little minds, if you will, start yeah. really thinking about, oh, what do I want to be? You know, what what do I find interesting about school? And do I like working with my hands? Or do I want to, you know, do I like working in, on a computer? You know, and those are two different skill sets that, um, you know, and you can combine a little bit of both of those skill sets um, and, 
you know, with with this career path. So um, that's, I think, one of the biggest things that we're trying to do with um, positioning uh, professionals that are passionate about this industry with the right shops, because we know that when they are with the right shops, um, that they are happy and they are fulfilled. Yeah. And that really is what starts to change uh, the industry and the I mindset agree. around the I industry. Agree. And- and look, I'm going to tell you something. I, I can't remember what the YouTube video was, but I was watching a YouTube video the other day, and it was this POW giving a, a presentation, and he said 10% of life is where you are and the, the conditions you're submitted to. He said mm-hmm. hey, everything else, the other 90% is how you perceive it. Because it, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're going through. There is always somebody going through something worse, going through something harder. And that's something I've said to some technicians and, and they got super offended by that. And I'm like, look, guys, there are people who have it worse. And I'm not saying don't make a change and don't try and make things better. I'm just saying like your perception can make things feel way worse than it actually is, or it can make it feel way yeah. better than it actually is. It's what you yeah. do with it that matters, you know? Yeah. Yep. So how can they get in touch with you if uh, they're interested in, uh, Hiring somebody. Yeah. So our website is gopromotive.com. Um, and then if your shop, reach out to me. It's Joel, J O E L L E, at gopromotive.com. So. And I, I sat here this whole thing thinking your name was Jolly. I mean, yeah. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> the easy, easiest way is going to our site, gopromotive.com. And then when you get to the page, you could schedule a meeting with me and, and find more information. So, nice. yeah, is, same uh, with our technicians. I will say yeah. this. So, we have all of our um, openings posted on our website. So, they go to our website and you can look and you see all of our openings that are there available that are active. We don't have all, we have our active, hottest needs on our website. So we do have shops that are maybe passively open to candidates and things like that. So I would encourage um, technicians, service advisors, people that are looking to get into the industry, go to the website and you can submit your information there. And then a recruiter will call you and talk to you about your background and what you're looking for and um, see if we have anything right now today. And if not, uh, keep you in mind for anything new that comes through. And I, and I think with that too, the biggest the biggest piece with the technicians is you know we're do, we're spending a lot of dollars marketing wise and really building our database and just letting it's more of brand awareness to get out there with with the technicians and service advisors that aren't happy right or are maybe looking for a change for whatever reason so um, you know we obviously don't we don't poach our our shops people and that's not our goal right. and you know if anything it's really to educate a lot of these dealership technicians that perceptions not really reality right sometimes because you can get pay, career advancement, whatever the case may be at independent shops. So really on the technician side is we're, we're, we're trying to build that database, but um, just really educate them on, on where we can to let them know that there's some great independent shops out there. Got it. Thank so, you so much for being here, you. guys. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Now don't exit. J- thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.